Hi everyone, the Bible readings tonight are from John, chapter 10 verses 7 to 13 is the first one, and then we'll be flipping to John chapter 13 verses 31 to 35. So the first reading from John chapter 10 verses 7 to 13. Therefore Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep, All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. The next reading is from John chapter 13, verses 31 to 35. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Oh, thank you, Sophie, and thanks everyone for your welcome. Uh, it's a great privilege to be here this evening. Let me pray uh, as we come to the Bible and to the subject that we're going to be exploring together this evening. So let me lead us in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love the world so much that you sent your only Son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. And we know that the world that we live in is hostile to you, Uh, We pray that you would give us courage this evening to think about what it means to serve you in the world that you've placed us in. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you are new to St. Jude's this evening, or perhaps visiting, uh, we are in week three of a five-week series. And our, our particular focus has been to think about what it means for us to be thriving and resilient disciples of Jesus in this cultural moment, that is in late modern Western culture. And we've been particularly engaging with research that was published in a book called Faith for Exiles. You can see the picture on the screen. And that book describes this cultural moment as digital Babylon. And it outlines five practices that will help us to be resilient and thriving disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me share this evening's practice, number three in our series. Here it is. Curb entitlement and self-centred tendencies 
by engaging in countercultural mission. Again, curb entitlement and self centered tendencies by engaging in countercultural mission. Now, I think at a superficial level, it would be easy to hear that and think, okay, so practice number three is telling me to go on a short-term mission trip. So I want to start off by being absolutely clear. Um, And sorry, this is a bit of a spoiler, but here it is. Going on a short-term mission trip is not the answer. You will not curb entitlement and self-centered tendencies by going on a four-week trip to Fiji or Africa. (laughs) Now, if we're going to understand how practice number three helps us, we need to dig much more deeply into what it actually means for us to be living in digital Babylon. So this evening's sermon is going to be a little bit different from what is a typical St. Jude sermon. I think, uh, I'm sure, a typical St. Jude sermon works carefully through a Bible passage, step by step, seeking to unpack it and apply it to our lives. Uh, My remit has been to do something a little different to that. Uh, I've been asked to unpack with you the culture of digital Babylon. That is the culture of late modern Western societies. And to ask the question, how do we build our resilience by engaging in countercultural mission. That's where we're going, but we're going to start with a silly video. So here we go. If what I am is what's in me, then I'll stay, stay strong, that's who I'll be, and I will always be the best me that I can be. That video sums up the message of our cultural moment. Be true to yourself. Express who you are. I will flourish and live a great life by being the best me I can be. Everywhere we turn, that is the message that our culture is selling us. And it's selling us that message from Sesame Street level onwards, primary school upwards. You can be whatever you want. Tragically, that message has not left us thriving and resilient. It's left us, as a culture, anxious and distressed. And to understand why that is, we need to explore the disconnections that are created by digital Babylon. So the outline of where we're going is on your service sheet. First of all, the disconnection of digital Babylon. So digital Babylon is a secular world, which is a very easy thing for me to say, but a much harder thing for us to understand. The reason it's hard is because the word secular can mean a whole bunch of different things. But I think more significantly, it's hard for us to really analyse and understand what secular culture is, because most of us have been brought up within it. So that Secularism is the air that we breathe. Whether you like it or not, if you've been educated in Australia, your worldview has undoubtedly been deeply shaped by secularism. 
which means that all of us are much more secular than we would like to think. So let me try and sum up the worldview, the secular worldview of digital Babylon with three big ideas. The first big idea is that I don't need God or anything spiritual in order to find my purpose and meaning in life. In digital Babylon, I can flourish and live a perfectly meaningful life without any reference to God or to anything spiritual. I can find my meaning, my purpose, without religion or spirituality if I don't need them. I can find everything I need to flourish in the here and now. So I don't need God, I don't need religion, I don't need anything from the above and beyond to show me how to live. In short, I don't need a big story to give my life meaning and purpose. Second big idea is that I will flourish by expressing my own uniqueness, by being the best me that I can be. Whether I'm awesome or magical or friendly or grouchy, I will flourish by focusing on myself. So I don't need a big story. I can write my own story. And the third big idea is that I will express my own uniqueness by following my feelings. I choose to pursue pleasure and avoid pain. If I'm to be true to myself, what that means in digital Babylon is being true to my feelings. So if it doesn't feel good and authentic and validating, well then I shouldn't do it, because it won't be true for me. I don't need a big story, I can write my own story, and I'll do that by following my feelings. So the worldview of digital Babylon is telling me to pursue my own flourishing, my own well-being by being uniquely me, by expressing my own authentic individuality. And in digital Babylon, I express my authentic individuality in the two key worlds that I live in. There's a digital online world that I live in, and then there's a face-to-face world. And in digital Babylon, I don't necessarily have to be the same person in both of those worlds. I can have multiple identities. It's up to me to be the best me I can be. And if the digital me and the face-to-face me aren't the same, well, that's fine if I feel authentic about it. But there is more to digital Babylon than expressive individualism. Another reality of our experience of living in digital Babylon is that our sense of time, how we experience time, is that it's speeding up for us. Late modern culture, digital Babylon, has a problem with time. See if you can imagine yourself back to the beginning of 2020, before COVID. 
you were catching up with a friend after church, chatting. How was your week? Oh, busy. That's what everyone said. We were all busy and we were all stressed and short of time because we felt so busy. Now, if our cultural problem was that sense of busyness and time pressure, you would think that Melbourne would be in a really, really, really great place right now. Because we had the longest lockdowns in the world. We had 262 days when we were forced to slow down. So if our problem was just busyness, surely we would all now be super relaxed and happy. But you all know that that is not the case. Mental health referrals are skyrocketing. Before COVID, we were too busy. During COVID, we were too bored. Our culture has a problem with time. And German sociologist Hartmut Rosa calls that problem social acceleration. We're experiencing time as if it was speeding up. Now, that doesn't mean that time itself is speeding up. A minute is still a minute, an hour is still an hour. But how we experience time is that things seem to be getting relentlessly quicker and quicker and quicker. Now, I shared earlier that uh, Rachel and I served as mission partners with a British mission society called Crosslinks. Uh, We first went to Nairobi uh, back in the Dark Ages in 1999. That was the year that our mission society started communicating with its missionaries using this remarkable newfangled technology called email. We were on the cusp of a transition from being managed by actual physical letters with stamps on them to being managed by emails. Now, what was the promise of email? Back in 1999, the promise of email to us was this. Look, you you get all these letters coming in. You've had five letters this week. And think how much time it takes you to write out a reply to all those letters and then go to the post office and stick a stamp on them and put it in the envelope and take three weeks to get to England or whatever it was. You know, we're going to sell you this amazing technology called email. And you'll be able to reply to those five messages in five minutes. And it used to take you an hour. You're going to have 55 minutes of your life back to sit in a deck chair and sip a pina colada or whatever you want to do. That was the pitch, right? The problem was that with snail mail, we only got five letters a week, but with email, I get, I don't know, 50, 100 emails every day. So my email inbox is getting overloaded and I'm feeling overwhelmed by email and along comes WhatsApp and YouTube and Insta and Twitter. And what each of those technologies does is to speed up my communication even further. They allow me to speak to more and more people more and more quickly. So when I send someone an email, which I guess none of you guys do, but if you were to send someone an email, 
kind of email etiquette is a response in a few days. A week is still just about okay. But what about a WhatsApp message? You expect a response in a few hours. Four or five days is not really okay. The pace of communication is relentlessly increasing and we're cramming more and more of those communication events into each moment of our days. Let me give you, this is a really stupid and quite an earthy illustration of that. In 2005, which was just just before the smartphone was invented, when someone went to the toilet in 2005, that was one event, going to the toilet. In 2022, going to the toilet involves going to the toilet, checking your messages, looking at the news headlines, and catching up on whatever things on your smartphone are interesting. What used to be one event is now four events. Technological innovation has led to social acceleration. We feel relentlessly more and more pressured because we cram more and more events into our lives. So digital Babylon is telling us to pursue our own flourishing by expressing our unique individualism. But it puts us under more and more pressure. Pressure to communicate with more people. Pressure to communicate more quickly. So we're told to be authentic. We're promised that we live in the age of authenticity. We can be uniquely, truly us. But we don't live in the age of authenticity. We live in the age of anxiety. And instead of flourishing, we fail. And the consequence of living in the pressure cooker of digital Babylon is that we feel more and more disconnected We feel disconnected from God, disconnected from each other. We even feel disconnected from ourselves and our our own sense of identity or perhaps our senses of identity if our online persona and our face-to-face persona are not very aligned. So God feels distant in digital Babylon. Friendships feel shallow and we're left being confused even about who we actually are. Digital Babylon runs so deep that it messes up my own sense of identity. Now, given how deeply rooted those problems are, you might wonder how curbing entitlement and self-centred tendencies by engaging in cross-cultural mission is going to help that problem. As I said before, if we interpret that as an invitation to go on a four-week trip to Fiji or Africa, it won't help in the slightest. But if we interpret it as an invitation to join a God who loved the world so much that he sent his only son, well, then I think we get to the heart of the problem. Let's move on to the second of our two readings in John 13 and think about the shape of true love. Let me read verse 34 for you again. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, 
you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. So we've seen that living in digital Babylon means living with a series of disconnections from God, from our friends, from ourselves. And as Christians, it shouldn't surprise us that the message of digital Babylon is so toxic. Digital Babylon is telling us to pursue our own flourishing. It's telling me to express my own unique individualism. It's telling me to focus on me. Be the best me I can be. In short, what Digital Babylon is telling me is that I must love myself. It's telling me to pour my energy and my purpose and my resources into me, into my own flourishing. And that message is inherently toxic. The reason it's toxic is because sin curves in on itself. If I focus on me, on loving myself, then I will send myself into an endless downward spiral. And so what digital Babylon creates is people who feel entitled and self-centred. I was watching a documentary a little while back about wedding planning. A young woman was being interviewed. She was struggling with uh, the plans for her wedding. And uh, as she struggled with it, the interviewer kind of gently asked the question, why are you getting married? She replied quite unselfconsciously, I just want one day when it's all about me. Digital Babylon makes us unselfconsciously entitled and self-centred. And the answer to that self-centredness is to discover the shape of true love. And as the Lord Jesus makes very clear in these verses, the shape of true love is other person-centred, not me-centred. Jesus doesn't say, love yourself. No, he says, love one another. And what does that look like? Well, Jesus makes that very clear too. We're to love each other as the Lord Jesus has loved us. In this chapter of John's Gospel, there are two contexts that show us how Jesus loves us. The first is the way that he has taken off his clothes, wrapped a towel around his waist and washed his disciples' feet. He's taken the role of a servant. And the second is in the verses that we had read when Jesus says, now is the Son of Man glorified. Where is the Lord Jesus glorified in John's Gospel? Well, he's glorified on the cross at his crucifixion. The Lord Jesus is laying down his life for his friends. Both here and even more explicitly in chapter 15, Jesus calls us to do the very same thing. What is the shape of 
other person-centred love? What is the shape of Jesus' love? Well, it is cross-shaped. So the supreme way, dare I say, the only way to curb entitlement and self-centred tendencies is to love like Jesus loves. And in digital Babylon, this is the ultimate countercultural mission. This is a call for us to invest our lives in loving other people, not in loving ourselves. This is a call to be whole people, deeply connected, deeply rooted in costly other person-centred relationships. It's the shape of this true love that has always motivated genuine Christian mission. It's the shape of true love that took missionary heroes into ministry. Whether you're thinking of the well-known heroes, William Carey, Hudson Taylor, the lesser-known heroes, Apollo Kivebulaya, John Sung, all of them knew this costly call to lay down their lives for Jesus. Now maybe you're thinking this sounds too hard. That leads us to my third point, the promise of abundant life, back in chapter 10. So Digital Babylon is telling us to pursue our own flourishing. It's telling me to be the best me I can be. Our culture values authenticity, not authenticity with reference to an external standard or code. It's telling me to be authentically me. It's telling me that as I express my uniqueness, I will flourish. Jesus comes with a radically different message. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The life that Jesus calls us to, the life that Jesus invites us to live, is abundant life. This is life in all its fullness. This is true flourishing. So if we live our lives for Jesus, if we live our lives with Jesus, then we will live life in all its fullness. But the fullness of life that the Lord Jesus is promising us here is profoundly, profoundly countercultural in digital Babylon. Jesus is inviting us to live life with him at the centre, not with me at the centre of my universe. Jesus is offering us a life of love, but not self-love, a life filled with love for other people. And what that means is that if we want to be thriving and resilient disciples of Jesus, then we must live for Jesus. But the promise here is that if we live for Jesus, if we love as Jesus calls us to love, 
then we are stepping into life in all its fullness. So, how might we put all of this into practice? Well, I want to suggest very simply, by getting involved in practically loving people in real embodied ways, not just digitally. Find ways to serve. Find ways to sacrifice your most precious resource, your time, as you lay down your life for the people that God puts in front of you day by day. And as we do that, Jesus promises us meaningful, purposeful, abundant life. I've been involved in training missionaries at St Andrew's Hall for 15 years or so. In that time, I've trained over 300 long-term gospel workers. Now, without betraying any confidences, let me tell you some of their stories. A number of mission partners have come to St Andrew's Hall in the face of intense opposition from their extended families, particularly from parents. Some parents have been angry, sometimes extraordinarily angry that their grandchildren are being taken away to another culture. That anger has sometimes been expressed in seriously extreme ways. Some parents have felt humiliated that their son or daughter is throwing away a normal career to serve the Lord Jesus in mission. The parents are left thinking, what will I say to my friend at the golf club? Now, of course, many of our missionaries come with the loving and committed support of their parents. But for a few, that has not been the case. And in the face of even angry parental hostility, they have chosen to live life in all its fullness. Life lived with Jesus. Many missionaries who've come through St Andrew's Hall have experienced great personal suffering. People who've known serious ill health, a mental illness, depression, some have considered suicide. People who've had marriage breakdowns, who've been bereaved of children. People who've experienced abuse, sexual harassment and crime. Many of our long-term gospel workers are people who have suffered. But they are people who believe the gospel. And they know that life in all its fullness is a life of other person-centred love. A life that is cross-shaped. A love that lays down its life for its friends. And without exception, those who've come to St Andrew's Hall are people who love the Lord Jesus Christ. People who know that they have found in the Lord Jesus the pearl of great price. They've fixed their eyes on him and trusting him, loving him, has changed them. A family with teenage daughters went to a CMS summer school in New South Wales. In the car on the way home, one of the girls called out from the back, Mum and Dad, why aren't you missionaries? Now they are. 
Another family were thinking about mission, but the husband had a hobby that was very, very dear to him. As he wrestled with that, he realized that his hobby had become an idol. He could have held it tightly, but he let it go. Many of our people have heard the Lord Jesus say to them, do you love me? Do you love me more than surfing? Do you love me more than golf? Do you love me more than your comfy three-bedroom house? Will you live out that costly love and find life in all its fullness? The men and women who've been through St Andrew's Hall in the last 15 years are absolutely not superheroes. They are ordinary Christian men and women just like you. But they are not living for the values of digital Babylon. They're not trying to be the best me that they can be. They're trying to honour and love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And in doing that, in doing that, they will flourish. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we long for abundant life, life in all its fullness, but we're so confused, we're sold a message of lies by the culture that we live in, a message that tells us to pursue our own flourishing. And we pray that you would help us to reshape our worldviews, to put the Lord Jesus at the centre, that our lives might be shaped by that other person-centred love, the love that lays down its life for its friends. Please would you do that work in us for our good and your glory. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.